0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/slash/fifteen to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Bonnie Plants, Bonnieplants.com. I'm Linda Pelagio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Terkel. Here, a very enthusiastic Aron Sanchez. Can you roll those R's for me? I, I just can't do uh, it. Aron. If I can, uh, I can roll my R's, but I can flutter my L's. Paladar. Oh, we'll, we'll get to Paladar because <laughs> it's one of those be still my heart kind of places. Yeah. I mean, um, for those of you that do not know Aron, Aron, uh, you know he is a mexican and i stress on the can there you grew up on a border town of mm-hmm. you know the u.s and mexico tell me what that was like
2: well it's the idea of having one foot in in one culture and another foot in another and 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 having that sort of relate to your upbringing was is very impactful because it's it really defines who i am i have a lot of roots still in El Paso, texas and The dichotomy of seeing Mexico every day when you're driving, or you're going with your dad or your folks or whatever, and and see Mexico right in front of you, uh, it really changes your perspective and makes you feel more connected to where you're from and your culture, and uh, also
1: appreciative of where you are. You have the Rio Grande flowing, but I mean, was that an easy border to traverse? Was it was it more affable to having people go back and forth? Well, yeah, I mean, that was
2: that was a reality growing up, honestly. Every sort of middle-class middle Mexican-American on the El Paso side had a housekeeper or a babysitter that would come over from Juarez in the morning, work with you in their house, and then in the afternoon go across the border. And that happens every day and probably still does. But now, you know, those days were a little more porous, the border. Now they're a little bit more regulated, sadly. Um, But it's funny because Juarez is considered one of the more dangerous cities in the world. And El Paso is one of the top three safest cities in America. So you can imagine, you know, that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, aside from people going back and forth, a lot of cultures were transported in through El Paso. Mm. Obviously, you know, Mexican cuisine. Mm -hmm. Um, What, what? was different about that kind of Mexican cuisine because I know it's so regional
2: Yeah, it is I mean, there's
1: 32 states in Mexico
2: with with the Distrito Federal, you know and everyone it's, it's, not, it's not like no other it's like any other culinary superpower Italy or Spain it's very regional you cook what's what's iconic in those particular places and what's available um, and the north of, the food of the north is is very much based in, in green chili milder chili so they make you know chili colorado and they make green chili they make flour tortillas they have machaca um a lot of these dishes that are burritos, like the, the, the true northern carne asada burritos, or or those are really sort of inherent to to, to where I'm from in the north and Chihuahua and Sonora in that area.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously that area was steeped in culture, but so was your family. Mm-hmm. I mean, your mother Zarela. For mm-hmm. those that don't know, explain you know her as a person, but also her effect. On New York, if not the nation, with Mexican cuisine.
2: It's true, Michael. You know, if you think about the the impact my mom had at a time when American regional cuisine was being really founded. So you have people like Alice Waters and Paul Prudhomme and and Larry Forgione, my mother, Jonathan Waxman. These people were instrumental in in showing America that each particular part of this country has something to offer and, and it's unique. And my mom basically took a cooking class with Paul Prudhomme in 1981. He He called Warren Leroy, who was the proprietor of Tavern on the Green, uh, which was the most profitable and successful restaurant in the United States for 20 years came up, cooked a dinner with Chef Paul Prudhomme, Alice Waters, and my mother cooked in 1982. And that's how she was sort of introduced to the food scene uh, and all the big players. So James Beard was there, Joe Baum, all the people that really were the mover and shakers. And my mom brought us along. So it was me and my twin brother. And that's how we got started.
1: Yeah. I mean, you started cooking with your mother, doing Kenner mm-hmm. Company stuff back in El Paso. And, you know, at... In 84, two Mm. years after that Tavern on a Green Dinner, Mm. you moved to New York as well. Yes.
2: And so she came up initially to do the dinner and then, you know, she kind of got smitten with the city like so many people did and then we went back to, to El Paso. She loaded all of our possessions in a catering van and then We basically moved uh, and drove behind a bunch of truckers from El Paso to New York with $2,000 to our name. And uh, that's sort of how the story began. And it it really really was instrumental in in showing me the value of of sacrifice and hard work and all the things that are important. Yeah, did you work at Cafe Marimba? I did. I did. That was my mom's first restaurant. She she was executive chef. She was not an owner. She actually worked for a gentleman named David Kaye. And David Kay was a huge restaurateur in the 80s in New York. He had Auntie Wong's, he had Pig Heaven, Safari Grill, which was on top of Café Marimba on 65th and 3rd. And across the street from that was Sign of the Dove, which was one of the most sort of iconic restaurants in New York for a long time. So my mom was part of that that really sort of renaissance in New York dining scene at that yeah. time yeah
1: I mean aside from your mother's cooking mm-hmm. was there a lot of other Mexican food in New York no it's funny my mom tells a story about the, you know the Fodor's guy mm-hmm. they said
2: in like in 1984 the the Mexican food in New York uh, it has the same resemblance to a howling monkey has to man <laughs> that's how bad it was yeah. you know what I'm saying yeah. it, was, it was it was pretty out there yeah
1: I mean did you feel spoiled or did you feel different I mean yeah. I, I've been to your, mm-hmm. your your mother's house and had a rose yeah. con crema of course and, and my mom adores you by the way uh
2: yeah, it, it, it's funny. I felt privileged in a lot of ways, and at the same time, I was sort of disappointed that a city as big and as grand dios as, as, as New York didn't have good Mexican food. I just, I, I found it, you know, unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I mean, is that what you wanted to cook? Because it, it's such a funny twist of fate that at the age of 16, you too took a master class with Paul Prudhomme.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, it took me a long time. My mom did a really good job in telling me I didn't know anything, and you know at 40 years old she still tells me i don't know anything
1: but uh
2: that's neither here or there but uh (laughs) she actually um i didn't feel comfortable cooking mexican food i just didn't i felt like i didn't know enough i wasn't well uh, enough studied i wasn't traveled enough so i really sort of put that on the back burner and wanted to learn about other cuisines and that initially brought on my trip to new orleans because i lost my father when i was 13 and like any other teenager i reacted poorly just to being a teenager, and then you compile that with losing your dad, so I kind of was just really undisciplined and, and gave my mom a lot of grief. So you know, she said, "I can't handle this fucking kid." Like Paul, take this guy for me, you know. So he's like, "I'll get him right." Yeah, yeah, I'll get him right. Send him down here, and I'll I'll show him a hundred pounds of uh, Louisiana shrimp, and he's gonna be peeling. Yeah, and we'll get that little nastiness out of him.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I know now you're you're very good friends and business partners with John Besh. Mm-hmm. Um, New Orleans was was there for you at a young age, mm-hmm. and you're also a Saint fan, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Absolutely. who that? Is that what
2: they yeah, said? <laughs> uh, excuse me, uh, Michael, say it with the reverence that it deserves. Who did? Who dat?
1: Well, I'm not an NFL fan. I'll, I'll leave that to you. I know
2: you play. Yeah. You play some baseball. Yeah. You know, you're you're, you're part of that, that Jewish pitching sort of legacy that that happened here in New York. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, your dad was, and your family were, were all into baseball.
1: Shomer Shabbos, Sandy <laughs> Koufax. I don't do Saturdays. This is about you, sir. This is yeah. a (laughs) So, I mean, going down to New Orleans, Mm -hmm. there's obviously so much tradition down there, too. And you talk about peeling shrimp. Tell me what Cajun and Creole tasted like the first time you had it.
2: Well, I'll tell you a really interesting story. Like, you know, first of all, Chef Paul never had children. So he took on a lot of his cooks and young, you know, apprentices as his kids. And when I got there, he was very, uh, very clear with me about what the rules were and what we were supposed to do and how we're supposed to act. And so I remember I asked him one time. I said, what's the deal with these magics? You know, he makes these, uh, see, these seasonings called, you know, magic, K. Paul's magic. And he said to me, he goes, boy, when I was a boy, chickens used to run around free range before it became cool. Like, the ch- only chickens we got were, were free range. And he goes, and they would eat things that fell off the trees. They would eat sassafras, and they'd eat bay leaves, and they'd eat thyme. And he goes, so, so the chicken tasted like something. And he goes, and now that we were mass producing chicken in this sort of way that they're doing it now, he's like, I needed to reintroduce the nature back into the product so that's why all his seasonings have those elements of nature that he grew up in so that's how he uplifted it you know that that's brilliant so that's yeah. like such wisdom to think like that
1: then is it weird for you to have spent your time with Paul Prudhomme and then go into a more sterile setting that is Johnson and Wales yeah. I mean I know it has an amazing staff and cuisine and, and curriculum but you know you're learning from some guy who's you know taking chickens from the street
2: <laughs> yeah well it, it was it was actually disheartening in a lot of ways and not taking any weight them for johnson and wells but that those were the days before food network those were the days before this industry was glamorized and so you really did it as a place where kind of like miscontents and little rebels against authority went that's what you did you like it's like a vote it's like a Votex school you know what i'm saying you yeah. gotta be a plumber because you're a mess up in school you know what yeah. i mean so when I got there, I'd already been cooking and then I'm over there doing brunoise, cutting bell peppers and, you know, and doing, you know, sort of my new show kind of kitchen work. And I was like, you know, this is not cool. I felt like I was being taken back a step.
1: Yeah. Did you act out again?
2: I did. Yeah. I only passed one course actually out of six. And then the ironic stuff now is I get calls from people from John Swell say so they want to name a wing after me now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no one gave a shit about me then and now it's funny how the tables turn
1: well is the wing going to be that place where everyone sits before detention (laughs) yeah yeah, (laughs) totally I'm sure we'll have salsa music playing or something so you know what's funny is when when you went back into cooking after Johnson & Wales um, you worked for Nuevo Latino chefs Douglas Rodriguez Yes So did you feel comfortable With your Mexican heritage Enough to start exploring That cuisine Or it just was a job
2: Well I'll tell you A funny story About how I got started At Patria Which was the first Three star uh, Latin restaurant Ever given actually And which Show Gave us that review While I was cooking there um, I, was, I had an interview At, at Grand Mercy Tavern when, when Tom Kalicki Was cooking there and my mom had told me about this place Patria on 20th street off of Park Avenue and I'm like so I'm going and I remember her saying something about how incredible the food was so then I was walking to Gramercy and Patria was next door so I was like I looked up and I saw all this fine I was like oh that's Patria let me go in there and ask Hi, I'm Sarela you know, Martinez's son. I'm um, looking for some work. Do you have some? Douglas came out. He said, come back here tomorrow. And I never went for my interview <laughs> at Gramercy. So imagine how my life would have changed had I worked at Gramercy. Yeah. You know what I mean? What was Nuevo Latino then? Well, it really started with a chef, and I want all the people, hopefully, they are listening to the show, which is about 10 people. But anyway... The <laughs> it's big with mothers. Yeah. Your mom, <laughs> my mom. <mama>, oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, the idea, there was a chef named Felipe uh, Felipe uh, Lombardi Rojas, and he was like the first Latin chef to come to New York. And he was a chef at a place called The World Room, I think it was called. And he wrote a book called The Art of South American Cooking. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but it was really sort of the Bible for Latin chefs. And he was the first chef in like the 80s to really talk about stuff from Peru and Colombia and Argentina. So he kind of inspired Douglas and then then we kind of took that idea of peasant kind of homestyle latin food from all over the caribbean central america mexico and south america and then just sort of alter that and augment that with contemporary technique and great ingredients and that's in essence what nuevo latino cuisine is
1: yeah so the word latino you yourself do you feel more mexican or latin I'll tell you the one thing I don't like Is the word Hispanic Mm -hmm. Uh, I
2: think the word Hispanic Sort of uh, You talk to scholars Who study You know Spanish history And antiquity They'll tell you that When you say you're Hispanic That you're acknowledging The conquista You know what I mean You're acknowledging That you were under You know Spanish rule And a lot of people Disagree with that I think there's a term, you know, for me, it'd be, I'm Mexican at soul, that's how I think, that's how I act, that's, I, I speak Spanish with my tío sitting next to me, that's what we do, we have his friend Rogelio here visiting from El Paso, we don't forget our culture, you know, that's what we do, we speak Spanish first, and there's a saying in Spanish that says, cuando pierdes tu lengua, pierdes tu patria, you know, when you lose your, your tongue, you lose your country, and nowadays you have like, all these Latin people like, yeah, I'm down, I'm down, what, it's like no one speaks Spanish. and that's 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 fundamental
1: so I mean this was obviously a thread through your life too because from that you seem to go through a lot of different Latin kitchens yeah you know and ones that even blended you know Caribbean cuisine and Gulf of Mexico Mm -hmm. uh, you met a business partner of yours Alex Garcia yeah. And opened up a couple of restaurants Tell me about Why Aladdin Cuisine Was then Such an impetus For moving forwards Yeah I mean You, you mentioned a
2: guy Named Alex Garcia Who I think is People You know It's so funny Like because the, the, You know Kitchens is very much Like music and art You know It's like when you have these guys That are such talented people that for whatever reason don't get the attention that they deserve you know what was it that, that musician Sugarloaf or Sugarman that movie that oh, just yeah, came out oh yeah from
1: Detroit yeah, yeah. from
2: Detroit yeah. and this guy stayed dormant for like 30 years and you know what I mean and they, they, they resuscitated his career and all this and Alex is one of those guys Alex cooks like a Latin grandma tons of seasoning and, and just love and, and you know and such a good cook you know what I mean there's good chefs I mean there's great cooks you know Douglas is a great cook a great chef. So is Alex. You know, he make a sofrito that would just blow your mind. You know what I mean? A black beans that you're just like, I can't believe that that tastes that good.
1: Yeah. What was a Latino? A
2: Latino was a, a Latin bistro. like So very much like you would go to a Baltazar or Cafe Felix in Soho. He wanted, Alex wanted to create a restaurant that was sort of inspired by Patria, but a little bit more easy you know easy to understand he had these beautiful clay plates it was right on West Browell between Prince and uh, Spring and uh, just an amazing restaurant you know what I mean and big wooden table so ahead of its time and it was a little kitchen it was me Alex and a, and a garmanger person in one dishwasher yeah. and if we called in hungover we, we closed the restaurant because <laughs> there was nobody else to cook Yeah. so it would be literally me and Alex working in a tiny kitchen the whole counter was covered with mise en place
1: <laughs> what did you want to cook?
2: I wanted to cook food that I grew up eating, to be honest, but I felt, it's so funny, now you have kids that are so enamored with micro, with what do you call that stuff, uh, mecolo, molecular, molecular bo- gastronomy. Gastronomy. I can't even yeah. say it, that's how bad I don't like it, and <laughs> they're enamored with it, and now you see chefs, I was just in Cleveland with Mike Simon, Ken Oranger, Paul Kahn, Mark Vetri, Dean Faring, the people that I respect and I'm privileged to call friends, uh, all we kept talking about The whole weekend Was we're getting back To cooking Our grandma's food That's everything We kept saying Damn I wish I could cook Like my grandma You know what I mean And so we're not enamored With the fancy stuff anymore It's more about Getting back to ribs
1: Well we're going to Take a quick break yeah. And talk about the area Where a lot of my Jewish grandmothers Grew up in yeah. Lower east side yeah. and, and the amazing And heartfelt place Of Paladar Thank you You've been listening To the food scene On HeritageRadioNetwork.org right. We'll be right back To a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app, the sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. And welcome back to the food scene on org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Aaron Sanchez, or Aaron Sanchez. And they call you turkey. Your friends call you turkey. Uh, Pavel, yeah? Yeah, or Guajalote. Yeah, Guajalote. Is the Indian name for yeah. turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Paladar. Um, I was taken there by my now wife, uh, 10, 11 years ago mm-hmm. and she said oh yeah no it's this great little place little did I know how big a crush he had on you really it's not necessary yeah.
2: <laughs> you tr- you trump me yeah. in that apartment yeah
1: come on man you're the man but what was pa- Palladar was the cutest yeah Paladar was the friendliest and you were there You were there In the kitchen You were there Behind the counter That that felt like your soul Yeah Did it feel like that to you?
2: Yeah I mean You talk to any chef And they'll tell you That they have a restaurant That defines them And and it, and it happened Really by circumstance You know I'd, I'd cooked around the city And I wanted to have a place That was affordable And I remember We took that space In 99 actually But it took us a while To get open I remember Because it was permits And stuff like that But we actually started Paying rent then Um And I remember like Going there And it was 3,000 square feet for 4,200 bucks a month I mean it was beautiful bro.
1: and you go there now because what was that that's Ludlow yeah Ludlow yeah.
2: and the only reason people came down there was for Katz's Deli yeah and maybe Motor City which was a very iconic bar Max Fish was and still Max there Fish. yeah, yeah. And Max Fish but it was only a place for kind of like like the old New York kind of art cool scene mm-hmm. and then and then it, it ended up sort of exploding to what it is now
1: yeah what kind of food did you cook what were your favorite dishes that you ate there well
2: you know that was a dish Those that, that was the day that that, 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 I remember the, the food I was doing was inspired by my training but it was just I wanted to do food that I can that I can just reach people you know what I mean and I made empanadas and with chicken picadillo and a smoked tomato salsa and I made I made sopes you know with black beans and tomatillo avocado salsa and I made arepas with you know braised duck uh, legs and, and just food that was inspired and fun and we were so busy you remember how busy that damn restaurant was yeah. I mean we would get packed and there was no reservations for the first four years we took cash so it was like <laughs> it was like one of those days like you, you told people about that now they're yeah. like dude really you yeah. did that I was like yeah man and we just cooked and we just cooked and had fun and I remember we had this little window you remember the restaurant and when I, we first opened we were so busy I didn't have a lot of staff but I had a couple guys from Puebla you know and when I know you're working on a Documentary is yeah. almost done now of Mexican cooks in New York, but I had these guys and people to walk in and say hello to me, and they're like, "Oh, you're cooking by yourself, man." I was like, oh, "No, dude, I have my helpers. They're just down here. They're, li- <laughs>
1: they're little. You can't see them." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they would hand the food up like this <laughs> above their shoulders. I mean, it, it was such an amazing place because not only did it, it did it kind of um, project everything that you wanted to, you know tell other people about your past about you know your history your culture but again you were just having fun there yeah what happens when you're not having fun in a restaurant i mean it's it's the beginning
2: to the, uh, the end it was funny last night i had uh i was in in harlem with Deal. we went and had a couple drinks at red rooster with my with my dear best friend marcus samuelson and then I didn't realize that it turns into a party on Monday nights at the Roosters so if, it, if you ever go there have a chance it's really awesome they have live music and it reminded me a lot of Paladar on Fridays and Saturdays when I used to have live music and DJs and stuff and it was a long time ago when people were dancing and drinking and having a ball and last night it really reminded me of that Yeah, it reminded me of how much fun you can have in a restaurant and then you know and, and forget about you know like monitoring your staff and all that And the, it takes a lot to let go you yeah. know as an owner and as a chef when your name's on something. And I just... I just You got to... I really implore young chefs to do that and stop being so serious about everything. I mean, we're in Roberta's. This is a fun restaurant. This is a fun place where we're at right now. And when you stop having fun, it's, it's not good.
1: See, what, what I see in you is that same twinkle that I saw behind the bar at Paladar mm-hmm. when you're on Chopped, when, when yeah. you're on television. But... You get to be an authority and spread the gospel in the same way that you shared your food. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, television is such a... It's its such a... Uh, it's so
2: impactful, man. It's so... It, it's really hard to describe. Somebody in Sioux Falls, Iowa now knows how to work with chipotle peppers, and they can go to a, their local supermarket and make one of my one of my recipes, because Food Network has transported them to a place and given them instant information and access to me. And television is a very, very powerful tool in that way. It exposes you. If you're a douche, you're going to be exposed. Yeah. If you're genuine, you will be revered and loved. And... That's what I've been doing, and I've tried to do on television. And I didn't do it for any self promotion. I did it to get people in my restaurant. To be honest, I used it as a marketing tool initially, and then now it's become something different.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of your latest shows, Taco Trip, mm-hmm. kind of combines both of those things because you get to be in other people's kitchens, you get to go to you know other places that are serving the food that you love, and and be able to you know disseminate that to you know the larger viewing community yeah and, and what I love about it is that this new show on Cooking
2: Channel comes out at 9pm by the way anyway <laughs> um, I think on what Fridays or Tuesdays Danielle, Tuesdays and we're doing a new season so it'll be out very shortly but it's it's cool because very little about me to be honest it's it's kind of like what you're doing right now with me it's it's about the people that are cooking the, the tacos making these iconic Mexican dishes And I'm just taking the viewer through them and kind of guiding them around this beautiful journey that we're on. And it's fun. Like, I'm going in a couple weeks to Portland, Maine. Do people think Portland, Maine has great tacos? Probably not the first thing that registers. You know what I mean? But we're
1: going to find it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, who's making tacos now? Because it's not just Mexicans and Latin chefs. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think you were in Chicago recently with Paul Cahan. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, the idea of everybody embracing the taco and how it's 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 the people's food and you know and it's really it's really become a perfect vehicle for so many different kinds of cultures and flavors and things that people dig you know what I mean and so I'm, I'm going all over I, you know this particular run I'm doing 10 different cities and I've been to some really cool places and eaten very interesting interpretations of tacos and I love it I don't want people to watch my show and think that they're going to you know see classic stuff all the time because that, that would be very monotonous
1: and sort of expected yeah I want people to be surprised so what, what what have been some of those twists that have kind of like
2: yeah I mean like I've seen I saw one city we were in in San Francisco one of the chefs made a taco with instead of tortilla he used jicama and that was sort of the shell or, or, or tortilla if you will and um, I saw people we were in Port, I mean in Baltimore and somebody did a soft shell crab taco you know what I mean using local Maryland crab so there's many things like that you know what I mean and I cook with John Besh at a restaurant in New Orleans so you know what I mean? There's a lot of
1: that. Yeah, I mean, tell me a little bit about that restaurant, because it is the collision of your past and your future, and, yeah. and your, your friendship. I mean, who knew that you and John Besh were going to be buddies?
2: Yeah, I mean, we couldn't be any more different, but the idea of having, the thing, the key to any relationship is having respect, admiration, and love, and that's what I have for him, and I just I, I, I learn from him all the time I hopefully he learns from me I guide the, the food he kind of runs the restaurant you know what I'm saying so the food is completely inspired by Mexico it's not a Louisiana Creole restaurant it's a straight up Mexican restaurant that's what we're doing taco centric tostadas shared dishes fun bar program in the CBD in New Orleans on Poydras, and then we have another one in Baltimore as well and they're just a fun restaurant and it's funny because two chefs that have big you know big egos and past and careers why come together and people ask me that all the time and i say because we can and we want to why not pull your resources you know what i mean chefs are very egotistical or very insecure and, yeah and we're neither
1: you know it, it's changed like you said there was no food network when you were growing up there wasn't that bigger you know community you couldn't you couldn't kind of associate yourself or Talk to somebody else in the same way. Now you're constantly on Twitter, on Facebook. Mm. I mean, you're interacting. So why not be open and friendly and happy and excited by, you know, th- this kind of new landscape of food?
2: Absolutely. And, and, and now you have kids that. For other, for other reasons would have done something different. Now they're going to college school instead of college, probably much to the dismay of their parents, but don't blame me. You know this is it's, it's fun, it's glamorous, but I hope people get into this business for the right reasons. You have to work your ass off. You make a lot of sacrifices. That does not change. And I think the bar has been raised higher now because of all the attention that this industry has gotten. Like now we're looking at people to really kick ass and really be focused and really have a point of view with food and at least at least, what we do in our restaurants. We try to make sure that everyone we bring has a good attitude. And we do, you know, Chef Moves. you know, John and I work with a foundation to help young inner city kids from New Orleans find a future in the culinary arts and it's called Chef's Move.
1: I mean, you do stuff for Why Hunger. Yeah. I mean, you're supporting the community in a way that you... Also, oh, probably didn't know It was possible before Yeah And the idea uh,
2: And i can put it to you Very simple You know, as a As a, as a Mexican American The idea of Latinos Or are, Or are, are, are Latins having role models There shouldn't be a rapper shouldn't be an athlete Food you know, I can't dunk a ball like Kobe Bryant. I can't sing like, you know, Pitbull or whatever, but you can make my chicken recipe. Yeah. So that's important. You know what I mean? And, and we want to try to be an example for young Latins going into kitchens and just in general. You know what I mean? And I think we're, we're very privileged to do that, to be a mentor. You know, the word chef really, in essence, means teacher.
1: I know you can sing. I, I have
2: dabbled, I've dabbled in mariachi music. My deal's looking at me like, yeah, right. But uh, it really depends on how much everyone has drank, yeah, or drank, I should say. And then, uh, and then that sort of kind of determines how good I sound. Yeah, sing.
1: I mean, if we had autotone, maybe I'd let you do it right now. But <laughs> no. we'll, we'll let you record an album, and I'll, I'll play it sometime. Yeah. Um, so seeing you. There, there is something very obvious mm-hmm. and it is these tattoos mm-hmm. and I know for years we've worked together and we've worked on different projects shoots and every once in a while those tattoos were asked to be covered mm-hmm. what do they mean to you and why are they well, it's, import-
2: well it's it's funny because like you know now it's so cliche if you're a young cook to have tattoos and to kind of You know, if I see another kid with a pig tattoo, I'm going to puke in my mouth. You know what (laughs) I mean? It's like, does does that make you cook better because you have a, you know, a pig tattoo? I mean, or or some beets running up your arm? Like, you know, come on. But I did initially because I've always gone against the grain. I hated authority. I wanted to be different. And, um... know and that's important so i'm doing right now i'm part owner in a tattoo shop called daredevil in the lower east side where we have a a tattoo museum the the only one in new york connected to the shop my good friend michelle Miles had daredevil across the street from paladar and that's how initially we became buddies and we're actually doing a kickstarter campaign right now for daredevil so for all you guys that want to contribute to daredevil and all the love that we're doing there please please visit the the website kickstarter on shit I don't even know how to get there but you you guys are smart (laughs) you'll figure it out yeah
1: Um, and maybe they'll even give you a pig tattoo if you really mean it if you (laughs) promise to cook really great food and you know try as hard as you can in this industry it's funny like if somebody were to
2: donate $100,000 to my charity of choice and I would get a pig tattoo okay I'm just throwing that out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I would just for cliche's sake. Yeah, like you already don't have one hidden on there somewhere. <laughs> I don't, actually. I have a wild boar, I think, getting yeah. stabbed with a knife, but not a pig.
1: Yeah. You've done books. You've done television. You've done restaurants. Is there something else that you haven't done that you want to kind of forge into next?
2: It's funny. I just met with my manager, my partner, Andrew, yesterday, and we talked about this very thing. We really want to open We want to do A a festival of Latin Celebrating Latin cuisine Definitely something That we want to do We want to definitely Sort of get more Into the philanthropy thing And I really Very Very uh, Very Committed to helping Restaurant kitchen workers Especially uh, Recent immigrants Get the Sort of rights and opportunities that they deserve. So I'm really ho- trying to focus on that uh, in the next couple of years, and then I'm going to do another book, yeah. which you will be shooting the photographs for. So
1: I said, I'm a very busy person, though. Yes, yeah, well will <laughs> try to try to fit me in. Yeah, Jesus, <laughs> excellent. And one more time, please roll those R's for me. Thank you so much for being on, buddy. Thank you, buddy. I'll see you soon. Yeah, absolutely. Elizabeth, buddy. Yeah, we're 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 pros now. <laughs> You've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday, at three. Cheers.